person that God created us to be. So we agree and believe, and, and that causes us to, to, to hide and to put on a mask. Um, Ray would use the word mask. He, he referred to you know, Adam and Eve putting on fig leaves and hiding in their shame. Um, and the problem with um, number two, living from this false identity, is that we, we can't really love or be loved. It's like putting up a wall because the person that we're putting forward to, to others is not, is not our true self because we don't believe that our true self is worth putting forward to other people. Um, and so therefore we can't, we can't really engage in deep relationships because we don't want to be seen and we don't want people to discover that um, who I believe I am is who you would discover that I am and, and compound this belief in the false identity. Um, the next steps are number three. So um, num- number, number one, we receive messages. Number two, we live from a false identity. And number three, we attempt to change our identity and um, this false identity. And the problem, the problem with that is that um, we're trying to improve things that God never said needed to be improved. You know, he created us the way that, um, you know, he intended to create us. Um, and so obviously we're trying to change something that is false and it doesn't work. And on the back of um, these attempts to change who we believe um, we are to who we believe that we should become or present to others, um, those attempts fail. And um, uh, Ray says that's where a whole bunch of coping mechanisms come in. Um, uh, the Bible calls them idols. So um, we, turn to, we turn to either good or bad things. You know, they could be things like addictions, like alcohol. It could be TV or scrolling social media, you know, like things that, you know, we would, you know, look at ourselves and say, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a great thing. But they can also be um, things that people would um, praise us for. They could be, you know, like working hard or keeping fit, you know, doing, doing the things the world says, you know, uh, are good things, you know, gaining reputation a, a amongst people. Um, the, the problem is that good or bad, they don't fix the thing that we're trying to fix, which is that we're carrying this, um, this shame around with us that um, we were never intended to carry. And so what happens is that when we, when we focus on fixing the thing that it has become, the thing that we think is the problem in our life, which is the coping mechanism or the idol, it confuses us not to see what has actually gone wrong in the first place and we can focus on that. Um, and so um, our, our, our problems essentially are not the problem, it's our belief in ourselves, and not the problem, but it's not evident to us because the problems in front of us are the evident things. Um, and I think the thing that I really like about um, this understanding that you know, was brought to me um, that I became quite close to um, was because you can talk about this anywhere and everyone's the same. You know, like some things you can share your personal experience and, and people are like, oh, yeah, I haven't experienced that. But, um, you know, I think, I think uh, from, from the beginning this is universal and this is our, it's our human condition, I guess. It was always God's intention that, you know, Jesus was the way, the truth and the life. He, you know... We can come to him, we can receive the truth about who we are. We can go to God and ask for his thoughts towards us. As David said, we're so precious. But the enemy's plan was always to lie to us. Um, you know, you, you can take it back all, all the way back to the beginning to, you know, the snake in the garden, you know, talking to um, Adam and Eve. And, and he painted God a liar. That's the first thing that he did. And then he implied that um, Adam and Eve in themselves were not good enough and could be and should be more like God and convinced um, them to, to eat the fruit. And so um, 
you know, not that he's a one-trick pony, but um, he, he tries to cut us off at the knees and he's been doing it from the beginning. He's been doing it from the start and it's the, it's the battle that we're, we'll continue to be in. Um, I had a, had a conversation. Amy and Steve are not here today. They're sick as well. But um, yeah, I, said to, I said to Amy, we, we got talking about some of this stuff. Like there's been a few conversations I've had recently that's just re-inspired this, um, this topic in me. And um, yeah, I said to Amy, you know, like if I was your enemy, not just your mortal enemy, but if I was your emotional and spiritual and everything enemy toward you, I think the thing um, that I would do in order to sabotage you would be to convince you that you are not good enough because it really does cut us off at the knees. And um, if, we, if we continue in that cycle, um, uh, we will find ourselves in a despairing place and we just won't be able to live out the purpose that God has for us. Um, and so I guess, I guess that's the relatable part, but I think, I think when we're in that, when we find out if we relate to that cycle, we need... We need uh, a way to break the cycle, I guess. We need, a, we need to find a way out. And so um, I just wanted to share some scriptures. Um, this is John 8, 31 to 35, a likely amplified version. Um, it says, so Jesus was, and, and uh, you know, I'm reading this because, you know, like uh, this is the answer sort of all wrapped up in, in, you know, as short a time frame as I could share with you, but. Um, it says, so Jesus, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people as he often is. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, continually obeying my teachings and living in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth regarding salvation and the truth will set you free from the penalty of sin. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be set free? Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, everyone who practices sin habitually is a slave to sin. Now the slave does not remain in the household forever. The son of the master does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you are unquestionably free. And the, the conversation, you can read on, the conversation sort of gets a little bit more heated because they're, they're not understanding. He's talking about spiritual things and then they're, they're not they're not getting it. And so if you scroll down to sort of verse 43 to 47, um, the conversation continues and Jesus says, why do, you understand, why do you misunderstand what I'm saying? It is because your spiritual ears are deaf and you are unable to hear the truth of my word. You, you are of your father, the devil, and it is your will to practice the desires which are characteristic of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks what is natural to him. For he is a liar and the father of lies and half-truths. Half but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me and continue in your unbelief. Which one of you has, has proof and convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God and belongs to him, hears the truth of God's word, words. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God and you're not, you are not in fellowship with him. So Jesus says... It's the truth that sets you free. You know, before um, you know, before Jesus started his ministry, and you know, like I've I've shared about the scripture before, but um, you know, he, he's baptized by John. He's immediately led into the wilderness. He's tempted. The enemy comes upon him. He performs the same tricks. He, um, you know, he starts he he starts most lines. Uh, if you are the Son of God, you know, he begins to attack Jesus' identity. 
and Jesus is in a physically weakened, a weakened state um, at the time, and and Jesus refers to uh, truth. He re- he refers to what he knows to to be the truth to overcome uh, the temptations of the enemy. And um, and in in these scriptures, he's saying, you know, basically um, we're captives. Well, after his, um, we we can be captives to sin. After that experience. You know, he, he begins his ministry and he goes back to his hometown and um, he stands up in front of everyone. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet and, and um, you know, he says, I've come to set the captives free. Uh, that's basically his, his purpose and, it, and his mission and pr- to proclaim the good news to, to everyone. And, um, and so I think I, I read that scripture um, a lot when I was younger thinking, yeah, like those people who are not free, you know, those ones not like me who need freedom from, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm free. And, and in a way that's true, but I don't think I thought beyond this idea that, um, you know, what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, we're, we're captive to sin. And so, well, then what is sin? Well, sin is, um, sin is spiritual separation from God. It's the thing that comes that, that it's, a, it's the decisions that we make that come between um, God and our, ourselves. And it's, it's interesting in... in this in John in this scripture that um, Jesus describes the devil as he was a murderer from the beginning, and you think back to um, Adam and Eve, and God said, "Don't eat from the fruit in the garden, or you will surely die." And so, what God was referring to wasn't a physical death, but a spiritual death. Adam and Eve continued to live physically outside the garden, but there was a separation between him, between them, and God. And Jesus was um, God's plan to re. <clears throat> reunite us with him in fellowship um yeah so i i I find that interesting that you know jesus description of the enemy is that um he was a murderer from the beginning so you know we we like the people that jesus is talking to we see physically we don't always relate everything about our surroundings as spiritual but jesus on the other hand is talking to the people spiritually and so they don't understand and um he's suggesting that although they are living Actually, spiritually, you can live dead to um, to God. Um, I'll read Ephesians six twelve to fourteen. It says, "For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Therefore, put on the complete armor of God, so that you'll be able to successfully resist and stand your ground." in the evil day of anger. And having done everything that the crisis demands, there'll always be a crisis, there'll always be trials, to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, victorious. So stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the wide band of truth, personal integrity, moral courage around your waist, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is an upright heart. I'm actually going to stop there. I know we could talk about the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the Shoes of peace, peace, the um, shield of faith is really relevant. But um, I've noticed in the Bible that the order that um, things are listed is often um, notable, I guess. And so what Paul's writing here is about, um, you know, like if you want to stand firm against not only uh, physical forces but spiritual forces, and then he goes on to list some things. And the two things that we find first, he starts with the band of truth. And then he goes on to the breastplate of righteousness. And it's interesting that those two things are not um, absent of me, of you, 
like these are our central features, you know, um, the band of truth, I guess, which, which is a belt. It's like, well, um, uh, this is where our emotions are produced. And, you know, in, in here, that's what a scientist will tell you. It's, you know, like the enzymes in our guts and they'll have a significant effect on the way we perceive things, like we react based on our emotions. Um, I can tell myself all sorts of things in my mind, but if it conflicts with my emotions, I'll find myself acting from a, a deeper source of my understanding of something from within. And then he goes on to talk about the breastplate of righteousness, which is, you know, that's a, the protection of the heart. And um, it, it's interesting, um, you know, the heart uh, all through the Bible has to do with believing. And so um, what he's pointing to here is, um, you know, we often think that uh, we need to run off and accomplish something, you know, like that's, that's our mission. And we see people doing good things and that ties into our identity so well because we feel like we should be something as other people are as we see them around us. Um, and yet uh, Paul is saying, well, you know, in order to not be cut off at the knees, like the, impor- the important first step is that your emotions and your believing one affected by the other, come into alignment with truth. Jeremiah 17, 9, 10, this is, I don't often read the message, but this is, this does sound pretty good in the message. It's descriptive. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. And, you know, I think we can sometimes... Um, in an effort to avoid our heart, we can live from our mind and I think we can pretend and I think sometimes we can, we can buy what we're selling and we can um, join God in separation from us. And I think that's a difficult place to be because um, in that place, uh, we're trying to hold up a mask in front of ourselves from a distance in order that we'd abandon our own heart not, and not come close to Jesus and the place that he abides. And so um, I, 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 guess, I guess thinking doesn't mean that we believe something, you know. We, we, we have the ability to believe something much deeper than we could process in thought. Um, and, and strangely, somehow we can pretend to ourselves. And so um, I think in, in my experience, um, you know, as I look over my life and I begin to um, consider the areas and the places where I have come to believe something that's untrue about myself and recognise that actually Jesus wants to, um, he wants to instil his truth in me, that actually he created me for his purpose, that he is um, good and that um, he is God and that I am not to be the judge of me, that he is to be the judge. Um, I find myself locked in a battle to come close to my own heart. Um, and I think the, the reason that's uncomfortable is because I think we think that what we'll find there is um, confirmation of the false identity that we've so feared in the first place. Um, let's read Psalm 139, 23 to 24. It says, and this is, this is David, um, and this is, you know, the man after God's own heart recognising the benefit of coming close to himself because that's where... <clears throat> That's where his God is. And it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Revelation 3.20 says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I think I put that Revelation verse in the, in the same category. I think that one is an easy one to, to read and, and think, yeah, I let him in. Yeah, I did that once. And it's so easy to, to feel like, no, I'm not captive. No, Jesus is here. And yet we can live um, having agreed that he is our saviour, that we need him, having experienced him, having come close to him in ways, in sections, in parts of ourselves that we have given to him and yet in um, our shame and our unbelief that he is good, find places still in our hearts where we have held on to the lies of the enemy who is intent on making sure that we are cut off at the knees um, and in front of those parts of our hearts, Jesus continues to knock. Yeah, I think, I think um, we can be scared that opening the door will just compound shame. But I had a thought the other night, Mel and I were talking about this and I put this exactly and I said, hey, that's silly because do you think, um, do you think Jesus would be surprised? Like do we think Jesus, like how do we play that out in our mind? You know, like we think opening the door to this place of shame would be like facing a giant and he knows about it. Like what doesn't he know? That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> and, and yet it's so difficult because of the way we feel about it. And so um, I think sometimes subconsciously we could play that out in our mind like, um, okay, well, if I open the door, it's risky because what if Jesus comes in, looks around, you know, has a smile on his face to begin with, takes one step in and he's like, ooh, okay, I didn't realise this was such a mess. This is going to take a long time to clean up. I was at the time and... You know, I've got, got to be with someone else. I think that's, we feel like that's the risk um, that we need to take. But that's not the description of uh, the scripture. It talks about this idea that he doesn't come in to deal with anything. Like, he comes in to have a meal with me. Like, his elation is just to be with me. And so the focus is just on the wrong thing. And, you know, if we, if we take it all the way back... You know, it says if we want to be free, you know, it says that the truth will set us free. And if the truth's going to set us free, then we need to be with the truth. We need to be with Jesus. But if we've closed the doors to our heart based on the lies that the enemy has, has um, shared with us and we've believed that who we are is not someone that God created us, then we are being cut off at the knees because we won't let him in and we won't receive the truth that we need in order to be free. Um, and so if we go back to John, um, you know, whoever is of God and belongs in him, this is how that the scripture finished, and belongs to him, hears the truth of God's words. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God and you are not in fellowship with him. And so, you know, he lays, he lays it out for us. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but to be with him is, is the way forward and I think if the example of the cycle is at all relatable, if we can find places in ourselves um, where we have come to believe that we are a better judge than he is of us, um, then the answer is 
to be with him. I, I think um, I think I'm surprised when I uh, when I go through this process, and and I, I think I think I found the first initial steps toward uh, allowing him into the m- most difficult places that I that I found most difficult because they held the most amounts of shame for me. Um, I think I found that the hardest. But what I've learned, um, as David had learned and was now asking God to search him, I think I've learned the benefit as well. And and so um, I, I think the thing that continually surprises me is that he does the work. Do you know what I mean? Like we talk about that cycle and the, the end point is that we engage in all sorts of things that we look at that we're not proud of. And so it compounds the um, false identity that we've come to believe in. Um, but it was just the other day, uh, you know, like I, 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 I guess I've learnt this cycle and I've, I, I guess I've learnt the process of, of coming to God and saying and taking responsibility, you know, like I think that's the thing, like um, we can feel like we're a victim to all sorts of scenarios and circumstances um, in places where people have convinced us that we are who we aren't or we are, you know, something not as good, that something shameful, something that shouldn't be shared. We can feel like a victim to that. But at the end of the day, if we can't say to God, okay, I was the one that chose to take this on as my identity. This is not who you created me to be. And I've chosen to be God. I've chosen to be the judge. Who's the judge? He's the judge. And I can decide that either he gets to choose who I am or someone else gets to choose and I can take that on and I get to choose. But it's me or him. And, you know, like I think he's a better judge and and the process that I have learned to engage with is actually repentance. Like maybe you wouldn't stitch those two together to begin with, but it's amazing when you come to him and acknowledge that you have been absent from your heart in this area because of something that you have agreed, which is an untruth. Just that act of repentance and saying, I'm so sorry, I haven't seen this, I've chosen this. I want you to be the judge in this area and you give it over to him. And it's incredible. I think we think after that that we then have to fight the battle to overcome whatever it is that's playing out, whether it's, you know, exacerbated emotions like anger or jealousy or whatever it is, whatever idols or coping mechanisms that we have gone to. but they just fall away. And um, I think we think that, uh, I think we think that in accepting a different judgment of ourselves, um, we then have to fight the battle, but I'm just surprised every time at how he fights the battle. And, um, you know, as, as much as the enemy seeks to, cut us off at the knees to find the central point in us that can inflict enough damage that we wouldn't live out a purpose-filled life like he has for us. Yeah, in the, in the same way, it's like um, we can be restored and redeemed in the same place. And I, I find that, um, you know, I can be blind focusing on the problem, but the problem's not the problem. The problem was potentially something long ago. Uh, um, (laughs) 
in a place where I have believed something about myself that's not true and I've found myself, discovered myself holding, holding up a mask, keeping people at arm's length, uh, abandoning my heart, not being able to bring myself. Um, and so I'm so grateful for, um, for this teaching. I'm grateful for what I've learned. I'm grateful for his truth. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, it's exhausting holding up a mask. It's the most exhausting thing. All right. What year is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I think I'm out of time. I mean, we're going we're gonna to break off into a couple of groups now because um, it's a good idea not just to, you know, listen to one person. It'd be great to process this together and, um, yeah, to hear what each other thinks and it'd be great to hear your experiences um, and how this is, yeah, what, what you can relate to amongst this story. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. Let's, um, let's break into two or three groups, I think, and there's not many here today. So let's have a chat. Yeah, James, I appreciate you uh, yeah, bringing those pieces of value to light today. I think there are a few layers that, um, that struck, I'm going to stand behind this, that struck me as, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe fresh this morning. Um, I feel like there are a few things that, you know, maybe this season, uh, not, not, not us as a group of people, but the season that the, the body of Christ finds itself in, uh, you know, that I found interesting in this. I think, you know, sort of the throwaway line that, that you put out there, James, where you said, um, oh, I was talking to Amy and, you know, I sort of said, if I was your enemy, I think these are the things that I would come after. Um, and I think, you know, then some of the pro progression of the verses that you used, you know, that, you know, there's this place of who are we believing and who, who is our father, you know, I so said, these things, you don't believe me because your father is the devil. And it's like, well, none of us really want to think, oh yeah, you know, my dad's, I have a demonic dad. That's a good idea. You know, no, none of us want to find ourselves in that position. Um, yeah, but what are the influences that I'm allowing to determine 
the reality of my life? What am I allowing to speak to who I am, to what's real, to what's true? What flow do I find myself partnering with? And where am I turning for the perspective that's determining the life that I live and the things that, that occur in me and through me and from me? And I think, you know, additionally, um, you know, going, going into the Ephesians passage and this notion of being, you know, when you've done all that you can do, just, just stand. And here's, here's, here's the means by which we stand, you know. And I think this work of dealing with uh, the internal space from which we live is not just about um, living fulfilled as an individual or feeling good about your self on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, this isn't, this isn't a self-help message. You know, I think this is... Um, it's something bigger than that. You know, as, as James, as you were speaking, I was thinking about my nephew Cooper, who's just been through a process of uh, training to be in the Australian Army. And, you know, really that process starts by breaking down the belief you have in yourself. It, it, it comes, you, you basically in your training, they walk you into a, an enormous state of failure so that you'll be open to a new way. And they're going to introduce a new way that's going to serve the purpose in which they're training you for, that you would be a warrior, that you would be ready for war, that you'd be ready for battle. And so they basically break you down to introduce uh, a new way. And the reason why they do that is that your way has to fail before you'll be open to a new way. And you know, as the identity that we've accepted is, is failing us, you know, we are being prepared. You know, I believe that that's the case. And I'm not, I'm not talking about war. I'm not talking about the army, but it's like God wants his people to be ready to stand. And as the identity that we've accepted through our story is failing us, I think the why deal with it is that we want to be those who are found standing. You know, we want to be those who have a capacity to believe what God says and to stand in the day where, where it's not easy to stand for the things of God in the place that we find ourselves. And I really believe that as we find the story that we've accepted, the lies that we believe failing us, the, int the introduction is, is a rescue that's not just personal, it's communal. And, you know, and then in the midst of this, I think we have to believe, you know, the Corinthians passage that says, how can the hand say to the eye, I don't need you? You know, every part of the body is made distinct and unique and some believe that they're of lesser purpose because they're not out front. You know, not all of us can be the singing lips of Curtis Anderson, you know, not all of us can do that. Uh, it's like some, some of us got to take some internal spleen based roles and in the kingdom of God, you know, I think I'm some kind of like toenail and that's just a good thing because we need them. This, is, this looks weird without them, you know. But it's like, well, whatever part I'm made to be, let me be found standing in that part. Let me receive that confidence from God and not need it to be something else, not need it to be outside of what serves him. And let's let our heart rise that says, if this life could serve you, you know, if you breathe this being into existence with something in your mind and something on your heart, let's let our life's pursuit be that we would discover that and come to peace with that place and be found standing there in confidence, believing that that's going to serve Christ in the world, whatever that might look like. And yeah, I think, Glenn, as you said in our group, that doesn't got to be the undies on the outside hero role. As long as it serves him, whatever it is that would serve him, must be, must be people that are receiving a, a picture from him of what he breathed of worth and existence into each one of us, that in, in the great day of testing, that we would be found standing in him and for him and because of him. And I believe nothing would serve him more than that. And I think, you know, even in hearing these words today, it's freshened, uh, 
a desire in me to be strengthened again. And I think it's a, I think it is a, you take ground and from new strength, you find new ground to be taken. You know, we, this is the sanctifying process that we find ourselves in. So yeah, let me just pray. Yeah, Jesus, we just ask for a, a new impartation of a God-filled confidence. We thank you that your spirit is not done working in our lives, that your revelation, that your accomplishment, that your fulfillment, that your strengthening, that you're completing, that it's a work you're gonna see through in us. And we just ask that, that the lies that have been waged against the powerful purpose that you've placed on the lives of those who are here will be put on notice in the name of Jesus. Yeah, we ask, Father, that you'd come in your love for us and in your strength on our behalf and that you would release new courage, new confidence, new capacity, that you would restore to us the, the creation that you made us to be from the very beginning, that we're not trying to become something new. We're trying to get back to the reality of who we've always been in you. And so, Jesus, we thank you that we're not alone in that process. And we confess our need for the spirit of truth to come and minister. And, and we just invite that in our lives in this day in this week, in this month, in this season, we just ask that your spirit of truth would come and hassle us with the reality as you see it, that you would just come against every false belief and false narrative that's holding back a peace-filled sense of courageous confidence in the gift that you've made each one of us to be. And so we ask you to raise up a God-filled confidence among us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. 